Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYT Radio. My name is Brandon Weatherby. This episode is with Sundance Film winning director, Emmy winning director, Eugene Jarecki. Eugene has a brand new film called The King, currently in theaters right now. If you're listening to this in Washington, D.C., it's at Landmark East Street Cinema. If you are anywhere else in the United States, go to The King Film and find out where that is. It's in alphabetical order by state. Here, no, without further ado, here's my chat with award-winning director Eugene Jarecki. So now you should be able to hear yourself. Is that true? I think I do. There yeah, you go. Good, good. Uh, Eugene Jarecki, you have a fun name. Yes. It's not as fun as Elvis, though. Well, but it's equally weird when you're a kid and you have to go into school and say, my name is Elvis, as to be a kid and walk in and say, my name is Eugene. It doesn't go over with quite the uh, splash of, like, Jake or Josh. I feel like there's a few more Eugenes than Elvises. More and more, you know, I think it's catching on. And I think Elvis is one of those names. I don't know. I heard Ricky Gervais one day say, Adolf. You don't hear that name so often anymore. So it's one of those things. There are certain historical figures. Napoleon, you know, not a lot of Napoleons, not a lot of Stalins. Uh, Speaking of Napoleon, Stalin, and Hitler, you're occasionally a guest on right-wing radio and television. Yes. Because you are an acclaimed film director. I am, so they say. Not so they say. So the majority of media say and awards say that's that you have bona fides is what I'm saying. I've got some. I've got some bona fides, and you know, it's it, you know, you throw around a few dollars, you can buy a lot of prizes. And have you bought a prize? Trophies. Are publicists worth it? Is really my question. Well, they have this thing they talk about the difference between earned media yes. and paid media, exactly, which really comes down to the degree to which in this country so much of what we read is actually just advertisements pretending to be journalism, and sadly. That's making it hard for the real journalists who are out there and doing incredible work more than ever to sort of poke through and, and remind you that there's a difference. So for what you do, the films that you make, specifically we're talking about The King. It's uh, released in Washington, D.C. on Friday, uh, July 13th. Was that intentional to release The King in D.C. on Friday the 13th? To really test our luck. Yeah. Well, we hedged our bets because tonight we show at the E Street Theater. Yes. The Smithsonian is putting the film on, and that's our little hedge away from a bad Friday the 13th okay. moment. But yes, it does come out at Landmark here in D.C. tomorrow night. Um, you... You make films that, in theory, are bipartisan that most of Americans would enjoy. You, you, this subject is Elvis Presley. I can't think of a more American-American in the pop culture landscape than Elvis Presley. My, my next film is just going to be about apple pie, just a, a whole film about pie. You're going to have more people upset with that due to things like gluten. So that's, that's true. So I'll stay away. Actually, cancel that. We yeah. won't do the apple pie film. So you're doing Elvis. Who doesn't, in theory, either like Elvis or have an opinion about Elvis one way or the other in a good way? Yes. And that's where we step into a complex issue here, because my film is not just about Elvis. It's a road trip in Elvis Presley's Rolls Royce mm-hmm. across America, which I took uh, basically during the 2016 election time frame for about a year and a half. And I crossed the country in his car chasing his ghost. But what I was really trying to understand was the state of the American dream today. If you went to all the places that Elvis traveled in his life, from his birth in Tupelo, Mississippi, to Memphis, Nashville, New York, Hollywood, Vegas, and you went to those places today, what would it look like through the window of his car? Something that comes up quite often in the film, at least during the first half hour, especially in the Tupelo and Memphis parts, are pretty much this feeling that things aren't as good as they used to be. Um, 
and you talk a lot about, you don't talk a lot about, you, you show a lot of people on radio and television sort of lamenting the current for the past. I don't know your age. I don't need to know your age. But I am 35. And I don't think that now is any worse or better than what it was when I was year zero. So what I'm asking you is, do you remember a time in your life where there wasn't this lamentation of things used to be better back when? It's a huge question, and, and I'm glad you ask it that way, because I went through a bit of a learning curve on mm-hmm. this film. When I started do, doing the film, my idea was, what could be more American than Elvis Presley? Who is more closely linked to the American dream than Elvis Presley? Which means that once upon a time, America was like Elvis. We were young, we were beautiful, we took the world by storm, we rose like a meteor. And then what happened? The same thing happened to Elvis as happened to us. Mm -hmm. We plateaued. We started to struggle with that premature power. Elvis found himself woefully unprepared for the kind of supernova status that he achieved. Emmylou Harris, who's one of the several luminaries in the film, talks about how Elvis had no role model. He had no one he could point to to learn from Mm -hmm. how he was supposed to handle all this. So he, like we, suddenly find ourselves an adolescent with the entire world in our hands. And America has struggled with that role just as Elvis did. So what do you do when you struggle? You get into a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. You get into a lot of conflict. You start reaching out for all manner of quick fix. Elvis was drugs, carbohydrates, vanity, consumption, materialism, violence. He was shooting out the screens on TVs. All the things you could say of this country that Mm -hmm. we are self-medicating about the sort of sense that the American dream itself is broken. And that's where the film becomes very much a touchstone for extremely current discussion about where we find ourselves right now, where the country seems to have really been hijacked by the powerful and the rich. Has it been hijacked or is this just another pendulum swing and in a few years it will swing back? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, Jeff Bezos makes $1.2 million an hour. Mm -hmm. Now think about, you know, here in this building here, what somebody who works in the kitchen staff here has to do to survive and what $1.2 million would represent in that person's entire lifetime livelihood. I do not believe that's what the framers intended. And I think when you've gotten to that point, that's too far a pendulum swing to believably think you're going to come back from because the depth of power that is implied by that kind of money when you do not have a system that keeps money out of politics means that that wealth distribution gap is a politics power gap. I'm glad you wrote up the framers of the Constitution. Uh, They had slaves. So, once again, are things better or worse than they were? It returns me to that, which I I love that you asked, and I don't want to dodge that. When I started the film, I think I had a certain misty-eyed nostalgia. Oh, it was great once. Like I just told Mm -hmm. the story, we were young and beautiful. Well, we were, but we also had all kinds of problems. We had killed the Native American. We were holding African slaves. We were oppressing women. The American dream wasn't available to everybody. It was available to white men and only certain white men. And that's always been the case. And we are now more woke about that than ever before, which I do think is progress. And one of the ways I've had to become woke is to realize, Eugene, don't blur the story here. Okay. We were young and beautiful once and we had problems. Elvis was young and beautiful once, and he had problems. What's interesting is as we both rise and plateau and then struggle, it's the problems we never solved from the beginning that come to haunt. 
America was started in 1787 by the Constitution. It's the same year that Adam Smith writes The Wealth of Nations, which is seen as the Bible of modern capitalism, even though that's a complete hijacking of what Smith meant. Let's call it what people call it, which is The Wealth of Nations is capitalism. Well, it's written the same year as the Constitution, and you can almost picture the country on a tug-of-war path ever since then between capitalism on the one side and democracy on the other. Are we principally a democratic republic, or are we principally civilization's modern experiment in runaway, unchecked capitalism? And that's the, of a battle for the soul of who we are, and it played out in Elvis's terms Absolutely. the same way. He is an authentic artist who, because of that beauty, becomes supernova powerful, and now all of a sudden the powers that are infecting his effort to remain authentic overtake him and destroy him. We're going to skip around a few points in the film, sure. if that's okay with of you. Um, the film starts, and there's no mention of Trump because this film was not made initially. It wasn't conceived with the current reality as our outcome. But it, towards the end, we get to that. We get to the election night. And when you uh, have your montage of election night, we're in Vegas, but we also see a clip from Beyonce. And Beyonce says, I would like to raise my daughter in a world where a woman is the leader. Now, I'm not trying to have a silver lining to any current administration or former administration to that point, but I think it's fair to say that Beyonce's daughter is growing up in a world where her mother might be the current day Elvis. She is the only one that there's never going to be another Elvis. The monoculture doesn't exist anymore. We've already established. I think, I think we could easily say there's never going to be another Elvis, but the closest we have is someone like Beyonce who is very socially active right now that wasn't 15, 20 years ago. And I think that Beyonce is the kind of person, and the Beyonce fan is the kind of person that could see this film, regardless of the side of the aisle of which they support, and maybe take away something from that. I guess where I'm trying to go here is, do you think that it's possible to get people that are pro-Trump to see this film and to enjoy this film and to maybe learn something from this film? It's hard to say. It depends what kind of a bubble they're living in. Okay. To be to be in favor of the current president, whose name I don't use in public conversation because I, I, it's sort of like plugging a brand, and I don't want to do that. Um, but I do think the sitting president at any time plays a role in the society, and this sitting president has a relationship with his supporters, which I think is uh, dominantly based on deceit. Okay. And I think he's dominantly a predator. Uh, I come from Holocaust refugees. I know a fascist predator when I see one, and I don't think it is uh, honoring to the legacy of this country not to call fascists what they are when you see them. So it's very hard if somebody's willing to follow fascists. I'm back in Nazi Germany where people were willing to follow a fascist. When people are willing to do that, they've made a Faustian bargain on the wrong side of history. So reaching those folks is something I want to do because I want to change the national conversation and put less toxins in the body politic. But if you watch my trailer online, for example, I think it's a really fair trailer and a very loving trailer. This movie is a giant love letter to Elvis Presley, among other things, a love letter to the country. But because it's tough love, because I'm willing to say anything other than you're perfect, you're perfect, mm -hmm. you're beautiful, because I ever deal with what the challenges or flaws or conflicts might be, if you go look at the trailer online, scan down the page, scroll down and look at the hate mail that I'm getting for saying anything other than everything is great and good in America and Elvis. Really? The moment anything but that comes on screen, the moment Chuck D comes on screen because he once said that Elvis was a racist, it doesn't matter that in the film, Chuck D is an incredibly magnanimous 
actually kind of lover of Elvis, who has a wide view of what the sharing of culture is about. He believes that Elvis was radically on the right side of history when he was willing to play music influenced by the black community, etc. He has questions about the way America and the movie business and the music business lionize white people and kind of leave black people by the wayside. And that's a very legitimate concern that's part of American life. So they don't have that kind of moment of depth. They're just in the knee-jerk Fox and you know Fox crowd, where the president has essentially a vast propaganda machine at his disposal that is very sadly putting many Americans, a certain subset of the population, into a Faustian bargain with a very evil side of history, and history will look back on that very sadly for them. I don't disagree with you, uh, but... How do you cut through the fat? How do you connect? How do you cut through that noise? How do you connect like Elvis connected? I think people are drawn to this like a moth to a flame. Even people who think they may hate it, I think they'll come and be surprised that they don't. And uh, if I do inspire them out of anger to come see it, that's not avoidable because they've been worked into a frenzy by a machine that's spending billions to work them into that frenzy. This is a PBS Independent Lens produced type? In part, yeah. Um, I watch PBS, but I'm a liberal that lives in a city who's white, who's straight, who's married. You see what I mean? You see where I'm going with this? How are, how are, and that's not typically the Fox News viewer per se. And I realize that NPR is, uh, like the second most trusted source of, uh, red states. And I'm not, I'm not just saying that people in red states don't watch PBS, but I'm saying once again, is this why you're going on Hannity? Is this why you're doing right? Sure, I mean, we go, we, we reach out as far as we can and we travel the whole country. I've been in 42 states in the last uh, two years and there's no way to cover that much ground and limit yourself to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Democrat, so I don't seek to talk to only one party. I don't belong to either of these parties. And if I'm honest with you, I don't think most Americans belong to either of these parties. I think per- people are far more purple than they are anything else. And if you give everybody the chance to think for a moment without hysteria and propaganda, they're going to love a film like this because it touches on all the things they hope the country is about. They see Alec Baldwin, Chuck D, Emmylou Harris, Roseanne Cash, Mike Myers, all these people. Roseanne Cash also produced the film. Yeah, Roseanne, along with Steven Soderbergh and Errol Morris. That's a a pretty good lineup of producers. They're amazing people. Ah. And they just wanted to see this national conversation be served by Elvis Presley in his death, just as the country was served when he was alive in a very beautiful way. There's a very poignant way. Elvis is a little bit of a warning sign. He's like a canary in the coal mine. The way this country destroyed Elvis is the way it is now destroying itself. And we're either going to get up off that toilet or we're going to die like Elvis on the toilet. The film that I think about... the Well, two things about this film. When I was watching it, I thought of The Man Who Fell to Earth, the Bowie film, Mm -hmm. um, for very similar reasons. I know that character was sort of kind of based on Elvis... Uh, considering the TV screens and the violence and the guns and the alienation, both literally and figuratively. And I also thought about your other film, Why We Fight. Since I've seen Why We Fight, I would think it was a college senior, something like that. Uh, Nothing has shocked me that's happened. So what I want to know is the guy that made that film, the guy that made this film, has anything actually surprised you? In the last five years. So we started to make this film before the current president Mm -hmm. even ran for office. And uh, when he won on election night, people called me in extraordinary heartbreak and fear and discomfort about the future. But one thing that to a person everybody said as they hung up was, oh my God, it's so terrible, it's so terrible, but it's going to be great for your movie. 
as if like whenever the world goes bad, a documentary maker's stock price goes up. When the fact is, of course, that's heartbreaking for me too. What I know is that the current president seems to be the embodiment of everything that my film describes destroyed Elvis. Mm -hmm. He's the embodiment of unchecked greed, power and money above all else, above authenticity, above dignity, above beauty, above elegance, above democracy. All of that goes out the window in the land of sort of the man who would be king. And I think that um, that is the real cautionary tale here, but it happened to me. I was making a film and would be sitting here with you right now talking about the same film, only that this creature emerged and is a living, breathing embodiment of the most evil toxins in our body politic. As such, he, he does a great service to us. What you have seen on his watch, and the reason I don't sound depressed, is that he didn't mean to, but his moral bankruptcy has provoked such a negative reaction in so much of the public, a vast number of Americans believe that we now have a fascist in the Oval Office, that the most significant social movements of our lifetime have been born. Me Too, Time's Up, the Sanctuary City Movement, the Poor People's Movement, uh, teachers in red states uh, striking to get better conditions for those who help our children, um, and of course the Parkland students and the incredible courage they have to stare down one of the most evil institutions in the history of the country. This is just one of mm -hmm. many. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, it goes on and on. There are so many things happening that are in a way a kind of channeled version of shouting your upset at the White House and let it continue. I think he's doing an incredible thing that he doesn't even mean to be doing. Sure. Which is by showing us the real face of evil in the Oval Office, people can actually motivate, they can organize, they can, oh, that's right, live in a democracy. They can be engaged people who don't just... You know, my whole career has been making films and having and noticing that people are apathetic and they don't know what to do and they don't know to organize and they don't realize their power. People are starting to break through that right now. And that's how the good and, you know, they always say the best of times, worst of times, and they often come together. And I think we're seeing that right now. Which brings me back to an earlier question. This, or I guess I should just say a thesis. <clears throat> that makes me think, well, once again, on just another pendulum swing. And it's easy for me, once again, it's easy for me to say that. Straight white man sure. lives in a blue city right. in Washington, D.C. Right, right, right. I get it. But history has proven it. it's a pendulum. Things have gotten really, really bad. Here's the problem. I understand the idea of the pendulum. Yes. But it has a presumption, which is a dangerous one. Mm -hmm. You need to get a level, and you need to figure out whether the pendulum in its entirety is sitting on a flat plane. Okay. If the pendulum is sitting on ground that's tilted to the right, if it's sitting on ground where natives, Native Americans were killed, yes. if it's sitting on grounds where rich people built a constitution to protect their slaveholding and their wealth, if it's built a ground where 400 years of African slavery was suddenly ended and it was expected a level playing field would immediately... You get my point. If it's already on a slant, each of those rightward swings brings it a little further than the leftward back backswing. And so I think generally we have in our social consciousness and in our minds... In our knowledge of what might be, I think we're evolving. In our systems, I do not think we're evolving. We have the widest class gap in world history, and we have that because the money is increasingly pushing us farther and farther from democracy. So we're not having healthy back and forth where democracy is re-emboldened. Look at the number of Supreme Court justices that have been that have been appointed, not by both sides, but by one mm -hmm. side over the past decades. And the one side is the side where the money goes down on the perpetuation of American wealth. Sure. I'm not disagreeing in any way, but um, here's why I try not to get into that. 
that thought cycle. Uh, I can't do anything about that. I can never appoint a Supreme Court justice. I don't. I, I'm, I know that you're not a loyal listener to my show, but I've just ever ever <laughs> pretty open and honest about how I'm a Satanist. That's not going to get me elected. I'm an atheist Satanist. No one cares about that. It's sort of a joke, but it's sort of reality. I know I'm not going to have a certain position of power. Therefore, I try not to bother my mind with things that I cannot control. That is one of them. That being said, I think there are incredible things that I can control. Sure. Social issues, huge, huge part of that. So. What I'm trying to do here is to find a way to connect to as many people as possible to get them to be cool. And well, I know that sounds... Do, but we're doing that right now. Absolutely. I mean, these conversations. I'm having conversations. I don't know about you, but I'm having conversations like this with cab drivers these days. Yes. I have it with waiters and waitresses, with friends who are the most apolitical people. My accountant two weeks ago sent me an email notifying me of his concern about the concentration camps that this government is running for children on American soil. Yes. He knows that I'm a Jewish person. He knows that I come from Holocaust background. And he's saying to me, I need your help with this petition. That's my accountant. I had never gotten a letter from him about anything other than tax rebates in my entire career. And now the first time, he, first time he's ever been political in his life is under this president. In a way, I guess that's a good silver it's ex- lining. Extremely. It's extremely. horrible said that the reason behind it is happening. Yeah, but those reasons have always been there. Democracy was born under duress. Exactly. Democracy is not a field. It's not a country club. Exactly. Which, in a way, makes me think, once again, we're not that different than we were 35 years ago. I'm not arguing with ago. that, but what I'm telling you is that there's a sedative suggestion when we think about pendulums. Because what it does is it tells everyday people not to worry and go march in the street because it'll roll back whether they do that or not. And I think that you're 100% right. And I think another exact same way to look at it and also way that's correct is uh, it only works that way is if you keep fighting and raising awareness and yeah. doing good things. That's I mean, for the way example, it also think about it also is if we were if we were completely nonpartisan about this mm-hmm. and unbiased either way, if you're like, look, we just want the place to healthily progress. Yes. Well a pendulum doesn't have a motor. It has to keep being pushed every now and then mm-hmm. like a child swing set. Mm-hmm. If you stand back and you take a cell phone call, your kid will be sitting hanging in the air after a while. So you've always got to get back and give it another little push. So each of us in our own way is supposed to get out and give it a little push in the direction that we believe in. That's democracy that's engagement that's what the framers did that's what Eugene Debs did that's what people marching in the street against the Vietnam War did that's how the New Deal was struck that's what Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt did these things mattered individuals but more importantly collectives getting together and saying we will not tolerate the following continuing we will not let children be separated from their parents we will not let this country abandon its history of being a haven for immigrants and what's written on the Statue of Liberty these are things that if you don't get out in the street and fight for them next time they'll come for you there you go so that's i don't disagree with anything you just said this kind of relates back to your film that you just made the king uh elvis went to war and uh pretty much kick-started his uh lifelong addiction to pills and uh probably entered his life let's say elvis doesn't go to war does he live he still would be alive he's not he wouldn't he was only 42 when he passed right if you take away the painkillers he yeah, that's a big alive. part of it. I mean, that's a big part of the Michael Jackson story yeah. and the Prince story and everybody's story. I think that in Elvis's particular case, the weight of the world was on him as no celebrity had experienced it before. And he was converted, whether he realized it or not, into being sort of the poster child of the new world order where America was becoming a military empire. Yeah. This was no longer the need to defend ourselves. This was the idea of ourselves as a new Rome. And Elvis is the country boy who loves his mama and goes and serves when his country calls him. And he comes back, and I don't know if you know the John Lennon quote about this, but John Lennon said, you know, they said to John Lennon that Elvis had gone 
over there and he'd gotten a crew cut and gotten his sideburns cut off. And John Lennon said, I think they cut off a little more than just his sideburns. They cut his bollocks off mm-hmm. when he went over there. And it's true. He comes back and in his best friend Jerry Schilling's words, he thought that Elvis went away James Dean, a rebel, taking on society, creating huge waves with his blackness and his sexuality and whatever. So he goes away James Dean and he comes back John Wayne. Uh, a representative of the system, a hood ornament of the great warship America. Yeah. So that seems to be the more the most tragic thing of all. Yeah. In the whole story. It's the death of it's the death of the beautiful radical spirit. If mm-hmm. this was a Star Wars episode, that's the episode where the Empire wins. Yeah. And the rebels lose and the rebels die on the toilet. And I think that I it's pretty it's I think it's fair to say that uh, the, the Empire's been winning a lot recently. Yes. Uh, good for them, uh, bad for a lot. And I'm tired of us watching Star Wars cheering for it and not doing the work that the rebel army does in that film. It's it's wrong. You know, think about this. I mean, this country broke off from the King of England. No more kings and queens. No more royalty. Look at how many Americans watch the royal wedding. Okay, so... What obsession do we have? Let's talk about that really quick. So I used to think that it was also complete bullshit. Fuck the royals. They're just taking money. But I do love the idea of a complete divorce from reality in a, in a way and some some kings and queens or princes and princesses raising awareness for things like landmines where otherwise no one would have cared. Sure, if they give me some pocket change that they find under the cushions in their couch, it's mighty white of them. But the reality is the adulation of them is so toxic for the world, for Britain, for America, for anywhere that touches it. We need to spend our time on making an equitable world, not accepting a completely warped, inequitable world and then letting the wealthy do us favors when they have a spot moment to... I understand the sentiment, but I don't think it's an all-or-nothing proposition. It doesn't have to be. Look, if we lived in a healthy world where Jeff Bezos didn't make $1.2 million an hour, I'd be totally happy to watch the Royal Wedding and play cricket and get some popcorn. But the reality is that uh, we do live in that warped world, and it's only symbolic of it. I have no special beef with the the particulars of the British royal family. But the reason we drove Elvis' Rolls Royce across the country and not a Cadillac Mm -hmm. or a Thunderbird or some American dream machine was because the Rolls Royce is where I think Elvis Presley went off script and stopped being a country boy sure. and became a king. I don't think country boys belong I don't think country boys should become kings and I don't think republics should become empires and I think they've worked in parallel. America has lost her way the same way that Elvis did. Once again, don't disagree but devil's advocate because that's what keep conversations going. Uh, my favorite show is RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul is a queen and then she literally crowns the next queen. I think this is the most progressive, wonderful show. And it does play with the idea of kings and queens. It plays with the idea of that. And being a king and or a queen does not necessarily represent good or evil. It's what you make of it. Yes. The problem is that our history of monarchy was interwoven with a history of anti-democracy. Sure. And so when you now have an aspiring monarch in the Oval Office... Uh, you get what you deserve. If you're not respectful of the work that democracy requires and we are all apathetic and we're letting ourselves be seduced by the power and money suggestions of a society, then nobody but ourselves are to blame when we then have a person put into the Oval Office, into the place that our children are supposed to look up to for values and American first principles. And what has been put there is an unapologetic, brazen, predatory, chauvinistic, sexist, and destructive capitalist. Mm -hmm. And that is as good a warning sign as anything has ever been in the history of the country, that we matter, that of the people, by the people, for the people, is a daily full-time job. I don't disagree. 
In the film, you have musical performances within the car proper. Yeah. The car is moving. I, like, you finally smile. It took a while, but we got there. Yeah. I thought RuPaul would have done it. RuPaul well, is amazing. I smile about two things. I smile about beauty and people. Okay. So the people in my film make my heart sing, whether it's Chuck D, whether it's Alec Baldwin, whether it's that young Emmy Sunshine. That yes, that's what I was going to ask Ken about. Singer. Emmy opens the film. Well, that opens amazing. the film. She's yeah. one of the first performers. How she old is, is Emmy? She's ele- she was 11 when we did the film. She's 13 now. Okay. Uh, if you're uncomfortable, I'd apologize. But... Do you think it's appropriate for kids that age to be playing in public? That's a really cool question. I mean, it depends on the child, and it depends on the parenting, and it depends whether what's happening is exploitative. Like, is that kid a stage kid where their parent is packaging them up and sort of uh, forcing an opportunity? If you meet Emmy Sunshine and you meet her family, Emmy Sunshine is one of history's musical forces of nature. She's an, un, she's an unprecedented uh, young person, and her family is literally just water skiing, trying to keep up from, with her. She's the engine and the boat up front. How old was Elvis when he... Got when he busted out was he nineteen twenty nineteen yeah older than her he wasn't I mean, he was much a, earlier than yes um, even now I don't think anyone under twenty five should be on that level because their brain isn't done and I think there's a solid argument to be made that if Elvis was a few years older if he didn't go to Korea he would have been fine a lot but, of these guys would have been fine you're on a very good you're on a very good tack with that because I think generally speaking Emmy Lou Harris has this beautiful moment in the film where she talks about how Elvis had no role model he was yeah. unprepared for this and other people say it as well and you have to understand that there's a way to look at Elvis as a victim and there's a way to look at Elvis as a person of free will a grown up of who course. chose these of seductions course. And both are true. You, you've several times today pointed out that that duality of life. F. Scott Fitzgerald teaches us that the mark of an advanced intellect is to carry two opposing ideas in your mind at the same time and still function. Our whole American story is that when this country was born, it was an extraordinary and majestic development in human history, and we held slaves, yeah. and we genocided Native Americans, and, and, and. It's always and, not but. And those parallels have been the work in progress that this country is. What Elvis Presley wrote Represents and what my film, I hope, explores is that the work of shaping this experiment, which is so vital to the world, the world is watching, is a full-time job, it is part of who we are, and when we step back from it, we become no different than the oppressive societies of Once Upon a Time without the redemptive stuff that made us enduring and beautiful. I think it's a perfect way to end. The film is in Washington, D.C. now at Landmark East Street Cinema. Uh, if you are listening to this and you are not in Washington, D.C., if you just go to the website, there's a wonderful list. It's by state. So look, it's alphabetical by state. Uh, the website is? Um, the, the King.film. The King.film. Thank you so much for doing this. It's great being here. 